You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. And called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy! Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like Adam. On a five-part coefficient. <laughs> now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo! No sleep tell hippo! Uh, action part. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Rhoda. Rhoda in the court. Shall we? You're listening to the dollop. Did I do that? No. Uh, no, yeah, do it. Kind yeah. of. I did it now. Um, so. This is a. Reverse! Bi-weekly. You guys are doing a reverse dollop. You didn't even do the intro. What was the intro? This is a bi-weekly American oh, this is a history bi-weekly podcast where each week I read Dave Anthony, blah, 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 read a story from American history to my friend Gareth Reynolds who has no idea what the topics are going to be about. Hey, Dave, let me stop you because this one's a different one. We're going to actually do a different one. We're it's doing a reverse dollop. Jesus, talk about shooting your load. All right, come look, on. Look buckle my, up. Look at my phone. Here we go. September 5th. It's my favorite day. 1939. Oh, not the This is the day that you were born before you were born. (laughs) Um, George Robert Lazenby was born in Goulburn, New South Wales, Australia, at the Ovada Private Hospital to George Edward Lazenby and Sheila Joan Lazenby. Uh Uh-huh. The couple had been married earlier that year. Yeah. Sheila worked at Fossey's. Oh, Fossey's. Which is like a Target. Sure. Uh, and then his father worked on the railway, which is like a railway. We have those here. Yep. So that's what that's just so, so you far. understand. So this is in Australia. Uh, and by the way, we should say we almost did this as a live reverse dollop, but we weren't sure how that would go over. Yeah. Uh, at three, George was put in the hospital because he was having issues with his kidneys. As he would say, he was, quote, peeing backwards into them. What? That's right. Uh, after multiple, Wait, sur- I just want to point out you're not supposed to do that. No, it's that's what that's what the doctor said. Second, you sound like the doctor. Second thing is that is a hell of a trick. It's it's a party trick. Yeah. Uh, for my next one. Ow! Go back in. Ah! Uh, after multiple surgeries, he was left with half of a kidney. Oh. The doctors didn't think that George would live past 12 years old, so this made him decide he was going to live every day to its fullest. That's three? Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, three. You made that decision. <laughs> every right. day I'm going to live it to my fullest. Uh, you're three. You kind of are. Yeah, I'm going to build with blocks all day. Oh, you're, you're already oh, I'm not going to let... I'm barely, I'm barely sleeping. Okay. Oh, boy, what will tomorrow hold? <laughs> I might collect bugs. Uh, George was not an attentive student. He was bored by school. Uh-huh. He felt that, quote, he had no use knowing where England was or where America was. I was in Australia, and I wasn't going there. Science? Who gives a shit about science? Love this guy. It's basically how my school mantra growing yeah. up. I was like, prove it. Uh, this attitude led to the headmaster never trusting George and always blaming him for everything bad that happened at school. Like one day someone brought a snake into school and George was punished for it even though there was no evidence that he did it. Oh, yeah, I knew that guy. Yeah. Well, to be fair, it was George, but yeah, was still there was no evidence. Joey. Joey? Yeah. It was your Joey? Yeah. Mine was Gareth. Um, and another day uh, someone brought in a bag full of bats and George got blamed for that too. Wait, and wait, wait, wait. What are you bringing a bat, bag full of fucking bats? Someone, Where are you getting bats? <laughs> well, are they alive? Living bats. Oh, for sure. Oh, you don't get it. Living bats. Uh, to be fair, creepier to bring in dead bats. Hey, dad, back. That's like what Batman does. Um, but yeah, and it was George. George brought in, George before school went and yeah. collected a bunch of bats in a bag, and then he let them loose sure. from the school. Um, for some reason, he didn't graduate high school. Hmm. Uh, I wonder why. And so he said, fuck it. And Lazenby enlisted in the Australian Army. He wo- rose quickly to the rank of sergeant, 
where he gained techniques in unarmed combat and how to maneuver uh, his growing frame. He was now six feet tall. So he's a big guy. Wow. All right. That's not that big. Yeah. Um, but to me, it is. I'm a little guy. When you say growing frame, I just picture big man. Picture of what? When you say growing frame, I subscribe to Growing Frame magazine. So <laughs> when you say growing frame, I, I picture large man. Yeah. Trump Jr. was on that. Um, uh, so when his spell of, uh, in, of four months in the force ended, George moved to the Australian capital, as you know as... Canberra. Canberra. Just wanted to make sure how we pronounce it. Uh, where he took up a variety of odd jobs before settling on becoming a car mechanic at 20. So he's making dog shit money-wise, uh, and as he sat into the cars getting greasy, he would watch the car salesmen across the lot with great envy. Yeah. They seemed to have it made. They wore suits, they talked to girls, they got nice cars to drive, and they made lots of money. Uh, so George told his boss that he wanted, nay, he demanded to be a salesman. He said he knew he could do it and that the boss man wouldn't regret it. So the boss believed in George's confidence and promoted him. Sadly, the boss was an idiot because George sucked at closing deals. Yeah. He didn't sell any cars at all, so his boss sent him on a course called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Now, this is a course that taught certain rules to follow in order to, well, win, win friends win and friends. influence. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, a very, it's a great title because it sort of encapsulates exactly what it is. It's a great course. Thank you. I've one, of our, one of our sponsors. I've always said that, yeah. Uh, it was written in uh, the course, How to Win Friends and Influence People, was written in 1931 by Dale Carnegie, or Carnegie, and has since inspired many people, uh, like the first two names that are on the Wikipedia page. One, Warren Buffett, quote, took the Dale Carnegie course on How to Win Friends and Influence People when he was 20 years old, and to this day has a diploma in his office. Or two, Charles what Manson. A fucking idiot. Or Charles Manson, who uh, used what he learned from the book in prison to manipulate women into killing on yeah, his yeah, behalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually the sample I'd use. So you, you could see the that, spectrum. That's the guy. I would use, I would use Manson over Buffett. Uh, I mean, we're different, we're different people. Okay. Um, the course was transformative for George. And what he took from it was to just shut up and listen when he was selling cars or selling himself or whatever. Mm -hmm. So now when George was selling cars, he would just spew back whatever the customer was interested in talking about, and it worked. And he began selling 30 used cars a month, one a day. This got him promoted to the used car sales manager at age 24. Wow. Uh, at the time, wow. George, yeah. Pretty, uh, 24 is pretty. Pretty good. Yeah. He's a go-getter. You'll see. You'll see. Uh, George began dating a girl named Belinda, whom he fell madly in love with. However, she was the daughter of a wealthy and respected Australian man who wanted her to marry up, and George was poor. So he hated George. So before they could get too serious, the father forced her to move to London. And when she stopped writing George letters from England, he wanted to get her back, so he abruptly just decided, I'm going to move to London. Yeah, why not? So he packed up his things, got in a boat that would take him to Tilbury, uh, England, near Ex Essex. Fuck you, Dad. Yeah, well, it's not his dad. I know, but he called him Dad. Yeah, okay. I don't, um, <laughs> again, I would, somebody look that up, because I don't think that's the case. Uh, on the boat, uh, George shared bunks with some fellow Australians who he'd get to know very well, mainly because of the, the boat's puzzling route to get Hello, to England. Mate. Hello, uh, mate. The boat first went to Sydney. Hello, mate. Then to Melbourne. Hello, mate. Followed by Adelaide. Hello, Adelaide. mate. Then to Perth. Hello, mate. Then Singapore. Hello, mate. Next to Delhi. Hello, mate. Then Portside. Hello, mate. Over to Africa. Hello, mate. Followed by Italy. Hello, mate. Next was Marseille. Hello, mate. Then they went to Gibraltar. Hello, mate. And then Tilbury. Uh, so it's quite a route, and by the time he got there, she had a new guy. Cause, mm. Yeah, so, uh, probably because it, it, yeah, it took forever See, to get I mean, there. she was like, he's dead. I haven't heard from no, him. He stopped at every port in, in the fucking world. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting to England. <laughs> that is definitely a thing you want to run over with the person on the boat before. Like, I, I'm, I'm definitely like a ask-questions second kind of person, yeah. but even that, I like to think I'd be able to flag. Um, so he didn't know what to do, so he got a job selling Mercedes-Benzes in London. Sure. 
um, because this, the relationship with the girl was over. So he's settling into his new job well, had a little apartment. And then one day when he's working, a photographer comes in, and he's looking for a car, and George helps him. Now this, Derry Anthony, was a day a that name. would change the trajectory of George Lasky's life. Derry's a real name. It's your name, Derry. That's what everyone calls you. No Derry, Derry. I know, but it's not a name that anyone's ever used, Derry. so it doesn't make sense. Derry. Okay, Derry, Derry. Derry. Davo. Davo's a... Makes no sense. Um, so this photographer wants to take a picture of him because you see Derry. George had become attractive over the years. Very easy on the eyes. Now he's tall, he's 6'2", Fuck he's yeah. got dark hair, he's handsome, and the photographer is immediately taken aback by George's good looks, and he wants to take some pictures of him. Now, George assumes that this is some sort of come on, and he wasn't interested. But the photographer said he would buy a car from George if he would let him take pictures. I've done this. <laughs> I would love to see this happen to you. Uh, uh. Uh, so George agreed to, uh, to take pictures, but... In reality, his mind couldn't fathom why a guy would want to take pictures of another guy or him, so he blew the photographer off. Oh, my God. And when the guy comes back, he comes back to the place, and he insists. He's like, you can be a model. He's telling George he thinks George can be a model. So George finally relents, and he agrees, and they go, and they take George's first headshots. So through that, uh, George gets a call um, to go to a shoot. It's his first shoot. It was a last-minute fill-in because the original model had to quit because it was a shoot with a baby where he was kind of like holding a baby, and the baby just kept pissing on the guy. Classic and baby. Cl- this is why I don't work with babies. Yeah, or have kids. Um, George, so George, George is like, I'll do it. So he goes down. He says he doesn't mind baby piss. He's given the job. He's getting pissed on. And the shoot goes well. Um, the photographer likes him. The photographer's fairly popular. So it opens the door to more work quickly. So once George Lazenby got a UK-based uh, modeling agent, his career began to pick up. And within a year um, of successful jobs, Lazenby became one of the highest paid models in Europe. He's 28 years old. He's making 40,000 uh, 40, pounds as a full-time model in 1967. So he quits his job selling cars within the first 18 months. And, um, and within the first 18 months, he's also hired as the European Marlboro Man. Oh, I was up for that. It's a big gig. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I wonder where they went in yeah, another yeah, direction. Yeah. I don't know. I'm yeah. pretty manly. I yeah. Got a lot of and manly. you always look comfortable with a smoke between yeah. your lips. That's and, one uh, thing I always say about I was you. Like, I was like, let's do sweatshirts. You know what I mean? Let's, let's I wonder have, where it went let's off the rails. Let's have this guy wearing sweatshirts yeah. and, and, uh, and hiking. He likes hiking pants and sweatshirts. Yeah. That's his deal. It's less. It's more Griffith Park, less. Uh, I, think, I just think it's very manly. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Wearing sweaters and walking is. He yells at people on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> he sure does. Uh, so George's career as a model is booming. His visage is posted on billboards all across the UK and Europe. He, he starred in a number of television advertisements before trying his hand at acting a little, but he didn't feel like acting was for him. Uh, modeling was just looks, and he didn't feel right saying lines. His only real film experience came from a walk-on part in an Italian James Bond spoof called Espionage in Tangiers. Great movie. It's a spoof. You've never seen Great it. Great film. It's not a film. It's just like a short sketch. Wonderful movie. Okay. Uh, in 1968, he is making great money, and he's making lots of sex. He is embracing the 60s and the sexual liberation. Uh, sometimes him and his roommate, a guy named Ken Garrity, another model from Australia, would play this drinking game called the Devil's Triangle. Uh, I'm kidding. Oh. It's not a drinking <laughs> game, Dave. It's not everyone knows Come on, this guy's not going to be a Supreme Court a justice. Game. Uh, nobody, everybody knows it's not a drinking game. Yeah. What am I boofing over here? Uh, uh. So uh, it was threesomes. They were way down to three. The two of them would... A couple, couple of guys having sex with a lady. A couple of guys having threesomes with one and lady. And sometimes you slip in the dude. You're broke. Uh, it seems pretty... Hard. Well, no. Actually, that does yep. seem hard. Yep. 
It happens. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so George, uh, as he's you know fucking his way through London, he's up for a commercial role as the Big Fry Chocolate Guy. Sure. Uh, it was between he and another male model, and when the company offered the deal, they said it would be thirty pounds a day and three hundred dollars for the contract. And George said he didn't like those numbers, and that he wanted three hundred a day and three thousand pounds for the contract. And he was laughed off. But then later that day, they <laughs> called him and they hired him. He's doing his own negotiating. In, like, a bananas way. Like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And he just says it because he's like, why not? Yeah, he's got enough money. He doesn't care. Yeah, and he's just sort of, he's like, well, well, may as well just give it a whirl, you know? So uh, so he does that, and they hire him. And so this sort of taught him always to look for a better deal in things. And the same thing happened with the wage gap between women and men in the industry. Women would make eight pounds a day, and male models would make four pounds a day. That's um, fucking bullshit. It's unbelievable. But George told him he wanted eight as well, or he would stop doing it. And wouldn't you know it, male pay went up to eight pounds. Goddamn right. Finally, Dave. Fucking men finally, finally stand up for themselves. Finally, enough men are of, getting equal Enough pay. of women getting paid more. Uh, but it wasn't until he became the big fry chocolate guy, that gig he was talking about, that uh -huh. he actually became recognizable. So I'll show you now, Dave, a little bit of oh. what the big fry chocolate guy is. Okay, doing. let's do this. So there he is. He shows up. Crunchy picnic Turkish delight or chocolate cream. And an entry form from your sweet shop. That, so he basically he got all that money to hold up chocolate bars. He would basically he would show up. The whole thing would be like it'd be like some party or something, and then it would be boring. And then he'd show up with a huge, huge crate of big fry chocolate. Yeah. And then the party would go uh, great. Yeah. Yeah. That's so just, real though. Everyone was happy. Um, he appeared extremely tall in the ads, partially because he was tall, but also because they would always hire smaller actors. Sometimes they would even hire little people. I do that to make him look. You do a lot. Is this about I, I you? I do that. I do that for the podcast. Oh, it's not. It's not a good idea for an auditory release. Um, so, yeah, so, so he's killing it. And then one day, uh, Ken, the roommate he had, who he would always uh, have the have Devil's sex. Triangle drinking games with, uh, asked a favor of George. Ken had agreed to go out with an agent whose name was Maggie Abbott uh, in London, but his girlfriend was coming to see him as well. So Ken was double booked. So he's in a panic, and he asked George to go in his stead. And so George goes on a date with Maggie, and he makes a good impression, um, clearly because a few weeks later... He's in Paris, um, and Maggie somehow calls him, and he's like doing, he's there for a job, and he's at some girl's place, you know, having sex or whatever. Sexing. Whatever, uh, whatever happens between closed doors. Don't say that, or, and look at me. Sex time. Stop it. And, um, and she, so she tracks him down. She tracks him down at like, this girl's house, and she calls him, and she's like, I want you to come she back to London. She tracks him down at the girl's sex she, house? Basically, she calls, she knows he's in Paris, so it's something like she calls a restaurant where she knew he was, or she called a few this restaurants, is, whatever. Somehow the a, guy, somehow the guy's like, oh, yes, he went home with uh, this girl. She lives uh, two houses down. This is a great example of what we, has to do, we had to do before cell phones. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah really impossible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so she says that she wants to come back to London right away. Uh, she thinks that there's, there's something, there's a film part that he would be right for. And he really didn't know what to do because, again, he's, like, yeah. happy just modeling. He doesn't want to act. He no, doesn't really think no anything interest. for him. Yeah. But this role, Mr. Pepperoni the movie. Mr. Pepperoni. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so good. Big fry, sergeant. Um, so eventually he sits down with Maggie Abbott. 
and she insists that he listens to her. And she says, you know, this could be a big deal. She told him that she thought he could land a role, a big role, a movie role, maybe the biggest role ever. Maggie Abbott told George that she thought he could be the new James Bond. Yes, I agree. So, you see, Sean Connery had done the first four films, and he'd made the franchise enormous. But he'd grown wary of the part and what came along with it. And Connery found the plots to be redundant. He didn't feel like the character of Bond could ever really grow or change. Come on. And in general, the public's demands on Sean Connery and his privacy were getting old to him. So he called it quits after four. Uh, So here the franchise is in 1968. I always thought he should battle cancer. Sean Connery? No. James Bond. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, Sean Connery did that in Lorenzo's Oil. So he oh, maybe that. that's what I'm thinking of. You're sh- <laughs> what do you, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to slowly deteriorate without a noticeable cure. What do you mean? Well, you see, Mr. Bond, this will slowly render your organs irrevocably repaired. Yeah. <laughs> or we could shoot him. Again, we shoot are definitely him. out on shooting. Shoot. Um, so uh, so here, here they are in 1968, Bondless. Producer Albert Cubby Broccoli. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking the best, the best of all producers. And uh, Harry Saltzman embarked on a frantic search to find the next Nobody Bond. remembered Harry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Cubby Broccoli was... Cubby Broccoli. <laughs> I, w- I do wish Cubby Broccoli came back in, but <laughs> he seems to be more of the silent partner. Um, but it, they found it was not easy to replace Sean Connery. Yeah. So they were seeing all these actors, but never coming up with their guy. They'd seen thousands of people. They tested over 300, but alas, no Bond. And George was shocked when Maggie told him this. He said he didn't think he could do it. He wasn't even in SAG. Uh, Maggie said it was more of who he was rather than who he could be. Right. She really believed he could do it because of his arrogance. Bond was arrogant like George. And she told him that she could not get him in for the audition, but told him just to go there and get in front of the casting director. And but, he said he would try. Yeah. So he goes in unannounced a couple of days later, and there's an assistant who would not let him in without an appointment. George keeps pressing her. She keeps rejecting him. So he eventually agreed to leave. But before he did, he looks around the room, and he sees all these guys in suits who looked like they were all trying too hard. They were, like, stuffy and proper, and he was like, that's not what they're looking for. So George decided he would return, but not until he looked the part. So he knew a couple things about how Connery operated in London from his car-selling days. So he went to where Sean Connery got his hair cut down the street, got the Connery, like the sure. Rachel. Okay, got the con. Of course he knew where Connery got his hair cut down the street. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is when London was a, a, a Magic. tiny town this is when London of was 400 people. A magical <laughs> land. <laughs> Who's the, uh, yeah, we've got one person in front of you. Bond, James Bond's in front of you. <laughs> so he goes and gets the Connery, and then he knew where Sean Connery went to get his, uh, where his tailor was. Yeah, right, of course he did. So he goes to Connery's tailor. And uh, he says he wants a suit. They say it'll take six weeks. Um, he says he doesn't have that time. They did, however, have one suit there that Sean Connery had never picked up. Boom. So for a high price, they would sell it to George. And George says yes. They make a small adjustment. Suits his. And then just for safety, George bought a Rolex. So uh, this is for an audition. Yeah, yeah. This is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's in, like, for me, if I ever have an audition, I've got to wear a shirt. If they're, like, if they're, like, wear a blue shirt, I'm, I'm like, like, impossible. Uh, I can't I make can't. this. I'm not going to this. I can't make it. It's blue not happening. Shirt? What am I, your puppet? Yeah, it's not <laughs> happening. Um, and then so with that, Lazenby showed up at the office again without an appointment. But this time, he waits for the girl behind the desk to sort of turn her back and do some bur- busy work. And when she does, George just runs past her yeah, and yeah. goes up to the casting room. Love it. So he gets to the audition room, and there sits casting director Dyson Lovell, or Lavelle. 
Who the fuck are? <laughs> where are these names coming London, from? London, baby. It's Lavelle. All right. So George stood in front of him, and when Dyson looked up, he saw George with the Bond haircut, the Connery suit, the shiny Rolex, and George was nervous, but just said cockily and calmly, I hear you're looking for the new James Bond. Oh, shit. And so Dyson likes what he sees, so they start talking, and when he asks George what movies he's done, George simply lied by saying he'd worked on films in China, Hungary, Russia, and Ukraine. Where we do all the films. Wherever he could come (laughs) up with that could not be corroborated. Bulgaria. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. And he's also using his uh, tactics that he learned from how to make friends and influence people to sell the product of George Lazenby. So Dyson is impressed with George for whatever reason, just because he kind of looks the part, he's calm, he's cocky, you know. Uh, And before he has George read one line, he calls Harry Saltzman, and he starts selling George to Harry Saltzman, one of the producers, Cubby Broccoli's partner. And Saltzman says, bring him over. Uh, So they go right over there, and when George meets Harry Saltzman... Harry Saltzman's got his feet up on the desk, and Harry tells George to sit down. But George, who, again, was just trying to kind of act better than everybody like Bond, said no. He refused to sit down. He wouldn't sit down in front of Harry's feet. Harry was taken aback, so he asked George for his life story. And uh, Dyson's looking on, and at this point, George is, quote, shitting myself. Uh, He just told all these lies, (laughs) and he didn't feel like repeating them for fear that he may slip up. He didn't even remember all the countries he said. So he felt overwhelmed, and so here Harry is being like, you know, what's your deal? So he's like, what am I actually doing? So instead of answering, he points to Dyson, and he goes, let him tell you. And uh, Harry could not believe the attitude of this guy. So Dyson starts kind of going off, and he's regurgitating all this stuff about uh, what George has done to Harry. And again, it's all BS. And by the end of the meeting, George was so noticeably different uh, than everyone else they'd seen, that Harry wanted him to meet with the director, Peter Hunt, yeah, yeah, yeah. who was location scouting. Uh, so George still has not read a line, and these guys Why are like... Why would you want a guy who's going to star in a movie to read a line? It's true. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think, well, because he worked in Hungary. True. Russia. The great The big film empire. He's been tested. Yeah. This is a Bollywood A-lister, baby. This is the guy. Okay? Um... So, uh, so Harry tells George to come back Friday to meet the director. But at this point, George is just freaking out. He feels very in over his head, so he just says he can't. And they're like, why can't you? And he says, I'm doing a film in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted to go. He just wants to go. And Harry is furious at this point because he's kind of fallen in love with him. So he tells him, he's like, whatever you're making on that gig, I'll pay you that to stay in town. So the lie, <laughs> so the lie just gets George 500 pounds to not go anywhere. But he wasn't going anywhere. Um, So, yeah, so Friday comes around, and he goes to meet with the director, Peter Hunt, who is irritated uh, because he'd been busy in Switzerland location scouting. Oh, my God, they flew in the director from... The director's, like, getting ready to make the move. You know, a lot of wheels are in motion. Yeah, he's got to be livid. Yes, so they bring him back. And Hunt was a longtime Bond editor, but first-time Bond film director, and he's feeling a lot of pressure, so he feels like he's under the gun. And so when he's sitting down with George, Peter wanted to know uh, what... George had done film-wise, his resume. And George is very intimidated at this point, and he didn't know what to do, so he did something crazier than lie. He told the truth. Quote, I had a meeting with Peter Hunt, and I told him I didn't tell the truth. I said I'd never acted before in my life, and I was willing to walk away then. And Peter just bust out laughing and ran around the room holding his belly. You said you can't act? Quote, Peter said. You fooled two of the most ruthless men I've ever met in my life. (laughs) He goes, stick to your story, and I'll make you the next James Bond. (laughs) 
This is exactly how crazy Hollywood is. Yes, this. I mean, truly, it yeah. really is. This is how. Uh, yeah, they, they just love wait this. till the end. Seems to be the Hollywood lesson of auditioning. <laughs> just wait until the very end. Um. So when Harry finds out the truth uh, that George is lying, he's livid. He wants George gone, but Peter liked George a lot, and he insisted he wanted to test him. So George did a screen test, then another screen test, then hundreds of more screen tests. He did around 200 screen tests on oh film my God. for around four months. There were stunts tests, and George impressed everyone uh, when they did, like, a horse uh, stunt yeah, test. Yeah, he's a fucking man. He's good on horses. Yeah, he re- so he refuses to wait for a saddle. They're, like, flying in a saddle. He's like, nah. a fucking saddle. He just gets up on the horse bareback and starts to ride. I mean, again, Australian. We've yeah. got to remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did swim tests. He did ski tests. There were acting tests. There were look tests. George even claims there was a sex test. Yep, One yep. day, he's in his room. They, like, put him up in a hotel, the Dorchester, I think. And a guy shows up at the door yeah, uh, with an attractive girl. Oh. And uh, the guy's like, uh, she would like to meet you. And George is like, okay. So then they go into the room, and George and this girl quickly start hooking up. Um, m- minutes passed, and then they're just, you know, having sex. And the man is just sitting in the corner while George has sex with this girl. And George is, like, looking over, like, what the hell is going on? But, you know, doesn't ask any questions. And um, when it was over... Uh, the, sh- the lady and the gentleman uh, get their things together, and they both just left. That seems normal. And he later found out that that was a test to make sure that he was not gay. Uh, the studio had sent that over. Uh, That's how you do it. Yeah, he was probably looking for his roommate. He's like, Kenny! <laughs> it's not gay, it's me and Kim! Jesus Christ. So towards the end of the four months, George is getting very sick of it. Uh, George said, quote, I got to the stage where it was tell me or fuck off. That's where I was at. So then during a fight scene test, George accidentally hits and knocks out one of the stuntmen. Good. Quote, well, he stuck his chin out, and I knocked him out. I was supposed to miss. Harry Saltzman stepped over, steps over the guy passed out, stepped over him, grabbed my arm, took me over to the wall, and said, we're going with you. (laughs) George Cockley replied, it's about bloody time, which made Harry furious. And so George quickly started thanking him. He's like, thank you, thank you, I'm sorry. Uh, He's still trying to be cocky throughout it, you know. Um, So George... You know, thinks he's going to be the next James Bond. So he, he calls is. his mother, and he tells her that he's the new James Bond. And she said that was great. And then she quickly also had news, and she goes, your license has run out. And he's like, okay. Which so there's his actual driving license or his license to sell cars? Or his actual driver's license. Jesus Christ, what's he going to do? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, it, it's just that he calls her, and he's just like, I'm James Bond. And she's yeah, like, yeah. oh, your license. But she's, she's grounded. <coughs> she is grounded, yeah. Um, to the point that it's insane. So with that, it was on. George Lazenby, chocolate model, three-way sex lover, first-time actor, Labradoodle Daddy, Australian, take my... was to be the next James Bond in the film on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Fuck yeah. So Harry and Peter, uh, the director, Harry and the producer, and Peter, the director, were surely taking a gamble. But George was cheaper. Lazenby took the gig for only $50,000, which was a far cry from what Connery was pulling in for the role. Plus, they felt that George was going to be surrounded by great actors like Diana Rigg and Telly Savalas, who were big names at the time. So, go just ahead. Put it, if you got a bad actor, just put some Savalas's around him. And <laughs> it's, it's like the big fry guy. Him. Just get little people. <laughs> Make him look big. Um, George, understandably, could not believe what was happening. Um, they told him to zip it, not say anything. The announcement was going to be made public on the cover of Life magazine. So on October 7th, 1968, a press conference was held where George was suddenly being asked questions. This is at the reveal that he's Bond. And he's being asked questions about like what it's like to be a huge star. And so he takes it all in stride, and he told them uh, everything except how he lied to get the part. 
He just pretended to be calm while he drank and smoked. From the article, quote, Lazenby twirls a gun beside uh, potential Bond girl Marie-France Boyer, and when he's asked what excited him about the role, he said, quote, I'm really looking forward to being Bond for the bread and the birds. Uh, Sadly, the Pope banned the pill that month, and no. life went with that as the cover. No. But still, quote, we got four pages on the Fucking inside, George Pope. said. The thing is, the Pope and, and, and James Bond have always had a thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, women. I expect you to figure out how to conceive a child without a pill. That's right. Um, so within two weeks, George is off to Switzerland to start shooting the film. Sure. The producers insisted that he had to get rid of his Australian accent, so they brought a dialect coach who That's... trained him by putting a, jo- a match in his mouth. Uh-huh. So he had to talk with just a match like in that's between how, his jaws to take the Aussie out. That's how we talk? Yeah. No, that's how the Aussies talk. He's English. They're trying to get him... In- they're not even trying to get him English. They're just trying to get him not so like, bloody... Yeah, eh, yeah. Bah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So instead he's just sort of like, oh, yeah, if I talk like there's a match in my mouth, and that's a hand a little bit, and I'm shaking not to You know? But... Yeah, yeah. All right. What are your questions? I did. I just. Are you gonna like, go- I, I, me? I'm from Essex. I feel. I'm from Essex. I feel like the accent coach doesn't know what he's doing. I'm from Essex. Okay, yes, you're from. Essex. I'm not from Australia. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah, look yeah. at it. Got from Essex. Yeah. Uh, so on his first day of shooting, he rolls up on a motorcycle. The security guard didn't know who he was. Did not believe he was James Bond. Would not let him in. Um, Who rolls up and says they're James Bond? If that guy does, <laughs> yeah. you just let him in. Nobody does that. <laughs> well, I mean, it, there's never been a guy that rolls up and says, "Hey, I'm James Bond." Part of the that thing they were in. saying, part of the thing they were saying, was because he was on a motorcycle too. Like uh, he's on maybe just right. like a shitty motorcycle. What ended up happening was they were like, "You can't ride a motorcycle anymore," so they buy him, um, they buy him like an Aston Martin or something of course instead. They did. They're just like, he's like, he refuses to give out the motorcycle, but then they're like, yeah. "We'll give you an Aston Martin." He's like, "Throw it, throw it yeah, in the trash heap." Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a ton of pressure on him, but George decides that he's just going to try to be calm and enjoy it. People keep pushing him to be like Sean Connery, but George insisted on being himself. George also felt like he was being asked to do more than Connery, so he kept saying, quote, I bet the other guy didn't have to do this. Uh, quote, some days I was doing... St- oh, go ahead. No, that's good. Uh, quote, some days I was doing stunts for nearly 16 hours, going from first unit to second unit, and I kept giving him that line. And they were just filming in Portugal. Peter Hunt came over and he said, say that line of yours. So at the beginning of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Bond is saving this woman from drowning. Then he fights off these three men with oars and anchors. And as he finishes the fight, he says, this never happened to the other fellow. <laughs> and that just, came from, that just came from him constantly like saying that on set. Uh, he was right, though. He was asked, he was asked uh, to do yeah. a lot more than Sean Connery. There's no way Connery is doing that. A lot more stunts. Way more than Sean Connery. And the reason why was because Harry Saltzman knew that nobody had ever seen George. So, if George died, they could just replace him with someone else and start over. The loss would merely be financial. So, they're like having him do all the stunts. The camera shots in the movie because are crazy. Because they literally think if he dies, in they're the, like, if he dies making the movie... Nobody's going to be like, Sean Connery died! <laughs> they're just going to be like, oh, this guy you never heard of died. And they'll just get another guy to play him. What a beautiful human being. Hollywood, baby. Um, so... Uh, so Peter Hunt, meanwhile, is so busy running two camera units full-time that George and his acting almost became secondary in the film. Uh, this led to rumors that Hunt and George stopped getting along, but what really happened was Hunt thought that George was better when he was irritated. So the more that uh, the director oh ignored George, the more intense his performance would get. So Hunt was trying to get the best performance out of the first-time actor by telling people, quote, the longer we stay away from George, the meaner he looks, and it works for the film. 
George remembers it, quote, so he told everyone not to talk to me, not to hang out with me. It made me angry and very uptight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently it's good. Uh, George also didn't get a lot of takes. Or oh even two. Oh, my God. Quote, what? nearly every scene in the movie was one take. He gave you one take. He would tell me that, and I would do the best that I could. It was another way. It was what? another one of his ways of increasing the intensity for me. It's just trying to save money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's got. I mean, I mean, at that point, you're not saving money. And if you've never acted, yeah, it's insane. Like you probably don't know how to object. It's almost and like that, they're they're making that fake Windy City Heat movie. Like it's like they're yeah, making right. a fake movie. <laughs> it's very. I mean, one take. At some point, George probably was like, "Ah, oh, they're messing with me. <laughs> this is an elaborate prank." I mean, we. We did more than one take on Marin, and that show had no money. Three, three takes is, like, not enough. No. But that's kind of where you are if you're working on, like, a cable show. You're yeah, three yeah, to three four takes. takes. But, it, but, but really, you need eight. But ten. really, you need one just to be like, oh, it's this. these are the parts that suck. Well, that's right. You know, and, but instead, he's just doing one. And he's not talking to the director. The director is pretty Perfect. much ignoring this him just to like get him angry. sounds like how you're supposed to make movies. Uh, so George was definitely, meanwhile, offset enjoying the perks. He took private jets around Europe to socialize. While shooting, he claims he drank a bottle of vodka a day. He smoked lots of pot. He had tons of sex. He barely slept. He was also getting offered money to just show up at parties. Uh, but the oh thing with God. that was that grew tired because deep down, George knew that those parties, they didn't want him there. They just wanted the new James Bond. Yeah. Um, at the end of the film, spoiler, Diana Riggs' character is killed. Oh, my God. Dave. You're Why would a, you do that? Be, I, it's shocking that they kill you Bond. fucking ruined. Uh, girls. Um, so while they're filming, George is so caught up in this kind of death scene where she's dead and he's kind of holding her in her arms that he actually starts crying. And he's uh -oh. kind of giving, like, a real performance. No. And he's, it's happening. The emotion is there. He's proud of it. And halfway through the scene, the director yelled, cut. Peter Hutt screams, cut! James Bond doesn't cry! And then he resets them. That's right. Um, <laughs> so he was like, I'm really he's an actor. He's right, though. Yeah. James Bond doesn't cry. Yeah, but if, you're an, if, you're an, if you've never acted, no, you're, it's like, impressive. If you're the big fry chocolate guy, you're like, whoa, I'm good. Shut up. Don't do that. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, James Bond doesn't cry, let's be honest. True. Um, all in all, the film was pretty good for a Bond film. You know, George wasn't the best actor, but then again, he wasn't an actor. He was good with all the action. Like I said, he did all of those crazy stunts. Uh, he was also forced to dub a lot of his lines after the film was shot which maybe has to do <laughs> oh with Doing only one take? one take. Yeah, I don't know. In retrospect, maybe not the best of calls. Um, in 1969... Wait, it came out? In 1969, okay. On Her Majesty's Secret Service was getting ready for wide release. Oh, yeah. As the premiere was approaching, everyone seemed to be very happy with George, and they knew they had their future bond. However, somehow, George shot the whole film without signing a contract for any more. And United Artists want that, wanted that taken care of immediately. The truth is, they wanted to see how he did when it was all put together, and when they did, they liked him. And when they liked him, they needed him. So this job of getting him to sign the contract fell on the shoulders of Harry Saltzman. So Harry was relentlessly pursuing George to sign what is known as a slave contract. Uh, uh, this contract yeah. tells you how you can act, how you can dress, yeah. where you can go, yeah. not, just what you're, not just for the movies. They wanted him to sign up for the next six Bond films. Totally worth it. But George said he Fif wanted... 50K a pop. But George said he wanted to think about it, which shocked them. You see, George was deep into being a hippie. After he was done shooting, he grew his hair longer and he started sporting a beard. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, and it he had it leading up to the premiere and it helped him not get recognized. This ruffled some feathers with the studio and the producers. He was told to not attend the premiere if he had a beard. Uh, 
They were like, they were so like James Bond does not have a beard. So she's what are you doing? Yeah, and he. I mean, even if you see, he's not that. It's not like he like grew like a shaman beard. Like, I know, this but is, he probably he probably. I mean, to them, he went from like James Bond to the Spin Doctors. Yeah, and this right? is sixty, you know, sixty eight or whatever. This yeah. is like they they're they're as stuffy as they can yeah, get, yeah, and yeah. they see a hint of hippie on him. They're like, oh no, nip no, no, the bud. no, get that stench of hippie off. Um, so uh, he was told to not attend the premiere. Uh, he thought that was ridiculous, and he still showed up with his beard Fuck and yeah, all. Yeah, he did. Now the studio was not happy with this violation, and they canceled the publicity do- tour that they were about to send him on due to the beard. Yeah, uh, they were about <laughs> to send him all across the country, and George was livid. By the way, there's a, there was a, <clears throat> in in England for uh, even up until recently, there was always a weird thing about beards. I think it's gone now, but like when when Zach, yeah. when Zach Galifianakis went to England in oh like this recently recently like the two thousand some dude was like what's with the fucking beard man like yeah it's just a weird it thing is, yeah even when English people grow a beard it's not like the kind of beard that guys like you and I grow no like it's like mm, yes yes trim it you like, trim it look like a professor yeah um so they canceled this press tour. So George is pissed because he was very excited to see the U.S. Like, that was, you know, one of the main reasons he was uh, pumped up. And so he, he takes himself on a press tour. So he oh. pays his way <laughs> to go across the country on his own press tour. I got this. So he would just show up at, like, local news studios. Oh, this is the best. And he would pitch himself. He would knock yeah. on the door and he'd be like, hey, I'm the George Lazenby. I'm Bond. the new James Bond. Um, and since there was no PR behind him, it led to some fun headlines like, quote, George Lazenby, the new James Bond, says he has taken, quote, a beautiful trip on LSD. <laughs> quote, the Australian star of On Her Majesty's Secret Service tried the hallucinatory drug because, quote, my curiosity was getting the better of me. But he added that he was under medical supervision at the time. Quote, I realized the harmful effects of it, but to me, it was a beautiful trip, he said earlier. Uh, or he said, Earlier in the day, Mr. Lazenby admitted to 400 youngsters that he had smoked marijuana. <laughs> so he's just, he's it's, gone rogue. He's the worst nightmare. He's gone rogue. He's the and, worst nightmare. And he's full-on hippie. Yeah. He is now a full-on hippie. and It's um, really not Bond. It's what, really not Bond. It's not Bond, no. So when the film is released, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, as you asked, it did get released. It, it did. It is a film that is released. He is, yes. It, uh, the film is released. It was a pretty big hit. Uh, huge hit, actually. It broke UK and US box office records. Okay. Um, and people, again, like, they were not like, you know, I, even if you watch Bond movies, like, it is a serviceable role. It really is more about, like, the action and, like, yeah. the, the, Always. you know, the, the, the few tropes. Yeah, like, the, yeah. It, all that shit. Um, so, so the, everyone's happy. They're like, they replaced James Bond. Um, so, this puts the studio in an even more frenzied state to get him to sign the contract. So, there, the United Artists is breathing down Harry Saltzman's neck, and Harry is anxious, so he keeps telling George to sign it, keeps telling George to sign it, until eventually he just tells George he will straight up give him a million dollars to sign it. Off the books, under the table, That's a million dollars. Amazing. But George he love, still... He, he fucking loves his beard. You he, know what a dude... A dude loves his beard, man. He was still... Get by my fucking beard. He was still very bothered yes. by what had gone on. It was Beardgate, the slave contract, the amount of ownership that it would take over his life. The one, the one takes. The one takes, yeah. It's all bad. The director not talking to you. It's all bad. 
But the truth is he also had a manager who, let's just say, was not a genius. Ronan O'Rahili was his name, which is a great name to say. O'Rahili. <laughs> O'Rahili. <laughs> O'Rahili, Ronan. Rahili. Yeah. Um, so his manager, Ronan Rahili, uh, told George that he didn't think Bond was going to have staying power. Quote, I had Ronan O'Rahili with me at the time, and Ronan says, quote, Clint Eastwood is making $500,000 a Western in Italy. You can do two of those and make a million. Forget about it. <laughs> Ronan suggested with the films at the time like Easy Rider and the very hippie age coming on strong that James Bond looked very dated. Oh, my God. So with all this weighing on George... He knew what he had to do. Yeah, cut loose. And he passed on doing any more That's Bond That's right. Films. Fuck Bond. <laughs> it's so. fucking a, a shitty, ancient franchise that's clearly going down the shitter. You know what is staying power? Westerns. Yeah. <laughs> Spaghetti Westerns, <laughs> as we all know. Um, the producers, the studio, the press, the public, and basically anyone else who knew what the deal was was stunned. Just yeah. doing one James Bond film was Totally a shocking decision. It's out of his fucking mind. So shortly after, George, who was still confident in his, his decision, was quoted as saying, uh, quote, I'm terribly impressed with Dennis Hopper. I'd like to work for him. I also like Arthur Penn, John Schlesinger, and Peter Yates. What I'm going to do is look for a great director first, a good screenplay second. Fuck yeah. So even then, like, you can hear in there that he, like... It's Easy Rider. Like, Easy Rider was, like, the hippie movie, and, like, he and this manager are, like, that's the wave. That's where this is all trending. The first Easy Rider is, like, 12 hours or something, the the original cut. The original cut? Yeah, there's a cut of Easy Rider that's just, like... Doesn't sound that easy. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) You hear what I said? Uh, I said it doesn't sound that easy. (laughs) But it's just them riding motorcycles. (laughs) (laughs) It's why people shouldn't be allowed to do LSD and make movies. Uh, I mean, I... Well, I don't disagree with you. I can't fully sign off on that. Um, so, uh, so meanwhile, like everyone is like, what are you doing? You know, but he claims he has no regrets on leaving the Bond franchise. Quote, I make better money doing commercials. <laughs> and it's much more rewarding. Yeah, no, you get to carry a big crate of chocolate around. Yeah, hold up chocolate bars. You Headline, kidding? quote, Lazenby quits 007. Quote, Monday, George Lazenby, the 29-year-old Australian chosen to succeed Sean Connery as the screen James Bond, says he is quitting after his first 007 film. Lazenby, who first drew attention with his appearance in a British television chocolate commercial, was picked from 500 hopefuls for the plum Bond part in the movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Now Lazenby has stunned the filmmakers by saying he is not interested in making any more films. Quote, They disregard everything I suggested simply because I hadn't been in the film business like them for about a thousand years. His co-star, Miss Diana Rigg, former Avengers star, is quoted as saying, quote, I can no longer cater for his obsession with himself. He is utterly, unbelievably, bloody impossible. They fucked. Actually, they did. They actually did date a little bit. And she said she was like, if we're going to date, you cannot sleep with anyone else. And he's like, okay. And then, like, literally the next day, he's sleeping with some girl, and, like, the stunt coordinator opens the tent to show her him in mid-coitus. And she's like, okay, well, this is over. (laughs) But she's also, like, she's like an actress. Like, she's, like, a legitimate, like, so for her, she's like, oh, yeah, but for him, he's just like, oh, man, what a party, right? It's a great party. 
Yeah, he's still the guy that's just looking for the next cool thing to do. Yeah. I mean, he's James Bond. It really is like, it's just got to be mind-bending. So, despite the controversy brewing in the Bond world, Lazenby was nominated for a Golden Globe for his performance in Majesty, in your Maj- on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Jesus Sermon. Christ. Only time that uh, a Bond has been nominated for a Golden Globe. Um, and with that, the search was on for the new Bond. Again. So they went with this guy named Sean Connery. That's right. Connery came back for his fifth and final Bond film, Diamonds Are Forever. Because Connery was probably doing it the whole time to get to get a bump. And so they went through the fucking rigmarole. To, and they're like, well, yeah, we'll show you. Well, they also probably, there was also probably an element of being like, we can't just have a new Bond every film. Yeah, I guess you that's know? true. Like, and there's some consistency there. It seems less weird to reset after another Connery. But also... Uh, he was convinced to come back for the role for 1.25 million plus 12.5 percent of total gross, which resulted in around six million dollars total, which is the highest salary for any actor at the time. Wow! And Good George got fifty thousand. <laughs> he got fifty k. Fifty thousand, and almost got killed. Um, and that was that. Uh, George was out. Connery was back in. Uh, during one interview, shortly after saying no, George was asked, "Quote: Which would you prefer?" To be a stereotype James Bond or a car salesman like you used to be. George smiles and says, car salesman like I used to be. Amazing. <laughs> I get it. The craziest thing about the story is, <laughs> is still the fact that William Buffett has that thing on his wall. Warren Buffett. Yeah, Warren. William's his little brother. And he's baby, very little. Baby boy. Um, so George waited for his new hippie roles that him and Raheely were waiting on. Yeah, this is the thing that his manager didn't take into account is that, is that uh, he, he wasn't a hippie on screen. Yeah. So, the, so they never come. Yeah. Uh, in 1971, George uh, decides he's going to follow up with a role as Riker in the film Universal Soldier. Um, but his attempt at a more serious production failed at the box office. Wait, Universal Soldier was a more serious production? Yeah. A dramatic turn. Yeah. <laughs> Shows you how cartoony Bond is. <laughs> now I'm looking to do something grounded, like um, we're robot soldiers. <laughs> you know, something that's not bananas. Something that I can really sink my teeth into. Bond is just not, he's not a grounded character. Yeah, it would be like a half-man, half-robot kind of thing. I'll be Riker, the half-man, half-robot who goes a little evil. Is that cool? Um, so George is blackballed in the U.S. and the U.K. Five years later, his career in Western cinema is seemingly over. Without any prospects... Did he get his license renewed? <laughs> I'm a, let, me, let me follow up on that after. <laughs> that's, actu- that's actually a T that I didn't cross. I apologize. I should have done that. Yeah, yeah. Um... So without any prospects of work, George headed to Hong Kong in the 1970s and starred in Kung Fu Adventure films. Fuck yes. And this, I'd much rather do this than be some bullshit James Bond thing. Yeah, I agree. Fucking Hong Kong Kung Fu movies well, he is all day also, long. He is such a hustler, too. Like, he's just like, you know. I mean, dude wasn't even an actor. Yeah. And this is four years no. later, three years later, and he's just like, whatever. He's I'm just in. trying to make money and have fun. Yeah. Um, so with that, George saw away with, with uh, the... Uh, Kung Fu cinema, George saw a way to make his name back. In 1973, Bruce Lee was a huge star. So George Lazenby did what George Lazenby does. He charted a flight to Singapore to meet Bruce Lee without any arrangements having been made. So he gets in with this PR girl that he meets at the Hyatt, and she tells him to go to Hong Kong. That's where Bruce Lee was. Which is amazing to not do that amount of research. Very normal. (laughs) To not... To just go to this Singapore is, and then be like, where's Bruce Lee? But what kind of, there's no Google, there's no, the research then is meeting a PR girl. Hilton. Yeah, but like, I, <laughs> I, I, I've, I thought about this, and I do think there would have been a way 
to be like, oh, he lives in Hong Kong. I feel like you could find that out. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, well, anyway, so yeah, he James Bonds it, and he talks to this girl, and she tells him where he is. So he takes a bus to Hong Kong, and he gets to the office of Bruce Lee, and he walks in, and he talks to a producer who told Bruce the George Lazenby was there to see him. The. And Bruce Lee sent him away. What? Uh, yeah, he had no interest. So George, so George not, is down and out, walking around Hong Kong during a typhoon. Worst, this is the worst Bruce Lee story that has ever happened. He, so George is down and out, walking around Hong Kong during a typhoon. You better fight Bruce Lee. You've got to listen to what I'm saying. Or the typhoon. George is walking around during a typhoon. He's, like, depressed walking yeah, around in a typhoon. Do when they, this is the sad part of the story. You walk around in a typhoon. So then a Mercedes-Benz pulls up, and it's Bruce Lee. Fuck yeah. And Bruce Lee tells him to get in. And so he kind of saves him from uh, a tsunami. And, uh, and they go to dinner, and they hit it off right away. And by the end of the meal, Bruce decided that he and George would indeed make a film together. Fuck yeah, this is... Bruce told his manager oh. to give George 10000 What year is this? This is 73. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, he, tells George, he tells his uh, manager to get George $10,000, get him a new suit. Uh, the next day, they set George up with a bank account. And he and Bruce Lee are talking nonstop about what the film would be. Bruce Lee is calling him at like 3 in the morning. They're discussing characters. And then sadly, Bruce Lee died five days later. That's what I asked. Uh, that's why I asked the year. Yeah. Because Bruce Lee died. It feels like that's it's one like of those. It's like it a, feels like there was no punctuation at the end of that. It's like a double typhoon. It is. Yeah. Talk about, yeah, he was walking around in two typhoons in one week. George is now the Grim Reaper. Yeah, he might have. The, he's the cooler. Um, so over the year, over the years since, so that movie didn't happen. That movie did not happen okay. on account of the death of Bruce Lee. Exactly, yeah. Um, over the years since, George has become a bit of a punchline in ways, but he still thinks it was the right thing to do. He doesn't regret passing on six more Bond films. "Quote: Do I have any regrets? Only when I was broke. But I did a Bond film, and that's all you have to do. After that, when I was broke a couple of times, I thought, shit, I should have <laughs> done another Bond movie." <laughs> It's so inherently Australian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it really is. It's like he's just like a small... T- he's, I think that is the thing he thought in his mind was he was like, worst case scenario, I go back to I go back cars. to what I was doing, which yeah. it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Um, during the 80s and 90s, Lazenby was on General Hospital. He was on another soap opera called Rituals, which I know you love. He was on General Hospital? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, he signed a contract to do General Hospital. And then he even took a role on an episode of Baywatch. Where he may have actually played, like he did stuff where he would like, like he did commercials where he would play Bond, like for a VCR. Oh yeah. So it's kind of like this. I don't want to say sad, but it's like, you know, he he rejected the role of James Bond, but, but still, he would still do it for like commercials. But he didn't have to live it. Like they wanted him to live it. They wanted him yes. to be a different person. And that really is like even the stuff that his manager said. Like to him, it was more like. I don't like what they're doing to me. Right. <laughs> you know, he was like rejected their system a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so he did, he did all those things. Uh, he married twice. He's back in Australia now? He, uh, he kind of went back and forth, but basically lived in L.A. mainly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he married twice. And, and, and you, know, you know, he lived uh, in Asia for a while as well. Uh, he had two kids. He developed a bit of a drinking issue, which uh-huh. made him less than a stellar family man. He even discovered he had a daughter that he didn't know about until she was in her 20s. When she contacted him, and he right away was like, well, let's meet. Um, George does take solace over the whole Bond thing um, in a meeting that he had with Shirley MacLaine. George's son uh, was sick and would eventually pass away, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. So MacLaine said, quote, take him to a psychic. 
So George went to the psychic that she recommended, and while they couldn't figure out, the psychic couldn't figure out what his son's disease was, she did, quote, analyze my life. And when I said I gave up James Bond, she said, quote, just as well. I said, why? She said, you'd have probably had three wives in Beverly Hills in different houses, and you would be a drug addict. And I thought, quote, wow, it's a good thing I did give it up. <laughs> so I mean, when you put it like that. He definitely, like, wanted to hear something like that. Um, and George still isn't done waiting. Uh, recently, Wait, he's still alive? Yeah, he's still alive, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, in his 70s, but he's still, like, he's... He still acts? He's still around? He will still act. He's still around. I mean, he doesn't... I, he's definitely not a full-time actor. Yeah. He ended up, like, for years riding dirt bikes. Like, he really did sure. just kind of, like... what else are you going to do? Yeah, so he, like, competitively <laughs> rode dirt bikes. Like I said, he did commercials, you know. And, but he, tra- he sailed, like, he sailed for, like, 15 months at one point or something like yeah. that. Um, he's kind of living the life. In I mean, a lot of ways. I mean, well, when you think about the trade-off you have to be... Bon- like, that is your life. I, I think... His life I think would being, never be I think James, being James Bond... Besides the money, I think that life sucks. The slave contract thing is... The slave contract, but also just being that famous and sucks. the amount of time... That, that uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service ta- uh, shot for nine months. I mean, these movies shoot yeah. for a... You know, they shot for like almost a year. Yeah. So if and you're that, doing that's what six... And if you're doing six, if he signs up for six... Yeah. I mean, you're talking about like the next ten years of your life fully defined as yeah. James Bond. I mean, you know, it's interesting. So, um, George still isn't done waiting. He says, quote, I'm still waiting for the right, perfect role to set things right. I'd really love the chance. So I learned of this story from uh, my friend Josh Greenbaum's documentary called Becoming Bond, um, which people can watch um, in a number of places. It is a great way to sort of hear it from uh, George, what he thinks, what he went through. There's also this really kind of, you know, a lot of his life was kind of driven by uh, a girl who got away. At the end of the doc, Lazenby is asked what he hopes people remember about his life. He takes a beat and simply says, quote, I'd like him to know that you can defy what is expected of you and write your own story. And George Lazenby did just that. Yeah, I mean, that's a fucking really good story. I mean, I, yeah, he's a good looking dude. He looks like a Bond. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you the people who walk away from shit, um, yeah. th- those are the quality guys that life. are the quality of life. I mean... They're, they're, the people don't get Hollywood. Hollywood to play the game and to be in that circuit and to live that life, to me, is intolerable. Like, literally intolerable. On that level, I mean, even when you see, like, we, you know, obviously both probably know some people who are extremely famous. That, that yeah. existence is difficult. Very difficult. <laughs> as it's far as, like, difficult. having your own life. You know, no, and I mean, you certainly, it, like, money, it, money is absolutely something that when people say money, it, like, money takes away a lot of your stress. Yeah. Money eliminates a lot of worry. Yeah. Money does a lot of that stuff. But it still, there is a compromise you make if you are like, I will be the biggest star in the world. Yeah, but you, everywhere you go, every, every place, you're being watched. You're never not being watched. Yeah. And how, and imagine, how fun is that? Ima- if and imagine, imagine if... Yeah, I mean, uh, how many people would turn down the opportunity to be James Bond? There's just not a lot. Not even a if lot. you're getting, even if you have a manager telling not, he just was like, fuck your system. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and my friend Josh also told me that if I want to hang out with him, I probably can. So. Oh, we got to do that. Yeah, for sure. I want that to happen. Yeah, <laughs> so that is, that is and, and when I heard this story, like, I was not sure if you'd heard, because 
I'm like, you would think that you would know. All, like, he's just, like, forgotten. Even yeah, in the totally James forgot. Bond franchise. Totally, because the next Bond He made Bond a movie. He was a James Bond. You hear about, like, even... I mean, I wasn't alive for, like, you know, some of the other Bonds, like Roger Moore. Or, like, but if... I think if Roger you know, Moore... I know Timothy Dalton. I know Roger Moore. I know Sean Conn. You know the, who they but are. But I think if Roger Moore hadn't come along and really taken over that role, I think that you, then it would be more one, 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 and then you'd know him more. But yeah. Because... He rolled with it, and they blackballed him, and they were like, they, they did wanted him erased. Uh, Hollywood's so great. Yeah, makes you want to be a cubby broccoli sometimes, doesn't <laughs> it? <laughs> I want to call this the cubby broccoli story. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now I recognize him as an o- older guy. Yeah, I've, I've seen him. Yeah. Yeah, and he still like he, you know he still gets like yeah he's he's still a play like uh, you know he'll be at awards shows in Australia every now and then and stuff like that. But it's such a it is it's hard like. The feeling I get from Australians at times, like when you when I read their history and stuff, this is a fucking guy that's very Australian. Yes, truly. He, I mean, yeah, he, I mean, he really is like a small town kid. Like even there, I mean, there's a story about when he loses his virginity, that he loses his virginity, and when he ejaculates, he thought his dick blew up. Yeah, yeah, I've done this. <laughs> So he has sex for the first time, and he literally finishes, and then he tells the girl he's in a car, and he tells the girl he'll be right back, and he runs over, and he expects to see his penis has exploded. <laughs> and he well, sees it there, and he's like, oh, okay. And then he just learns, like... Well, it did, kind of. Yeah, no, it did. But, but it can repeat explosions. <laughs> Takes a licking. <laughs> it exploded 10 minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> Much like a gadget that Q would give him. You see, James, if you use your prick, it would blow up. Wow, that's a crazy story. Yeah. So now let's go to the land of him. Tonight. Yeah. Tonight. We're leaving tonight. Yeah. All right. All right, then. Carry on. As you were. Come to the shows in Australia, dollarpodcast.com. Thanks. Bye. 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 Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow September 13th, London September 15th, Dublin September 17th, September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham September 20th, Bristol September 22nd, and Cardiff September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th, Adelaide November 16th, Canberra, November 17th, Brisbane, November 18th, and then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, this same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, 
fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. 